Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Up podcast. In this episode, I have Ryan Smith on again. He's my buddy from Hunt AZ and uh, sort of a hunting buddy, in a way. We haven't hunted together, but that's what we talk about, as well as um, podcasting and social media and all kinds of other things. So, uh, yeah, I had to bring Ryan on. He has uh, a wealth of information and experience related to this topic of R3, even though he says how it is a new topic to him, he's been doing it. Uh, and I think a lot of people are doing this thing that we call R3 recruitment, retention, and reactivation of sportsmen and women. And so I brought him in because he had a wealth of information regarding veterans and adaptive hunting. So he's been doing it. Um, we had a great conversation, really great conversation. So if you have not heard the last episode, uh, go listen to that one first with Jason uh, and and then come back and listen to this one. And then the next one is going to be um, some, some methods and wrapping all three of those episodes up together. So... Thanks for listening, and as always, appreciate you uh, giving me a rating or following on Instagram at Western Hunting Up. Thanks. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for jumping in on the Western Hunting Up podcast once again. Uh, this is a series podcast this time talking uh, R3 covering, uh, and if anybody doesn't know what that is, recruitment, retention, reactivation of hunters. It's 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 just your teacher language, I guess, the textbook language for what everybody already talks about, getting new hunters involved. Uh, and, and that's a hot topic, lots of good conversations, a warm, fuzzy topic, uh, um, maybe not so warm and fuzzy sometimes. Um, and maybe that's what we're going to get into. So, uh, lots of, lots of great things around R3. Um, I don't really want to get too far into the anti R3 stuff. I mean, we certainly can, if that comes up, um, probably should hit some of that at some point, but, um, 
yeah, th- this this episode, I wanted to bring you on because you've got a wealth of information, lots of experience with doing some veterans hunts, and you've got youngsters yourself that are that are hitting the field this year, and, and lots of exposure to to helping people in the outdoors. So once again, introduce yourself, uh, what you do, what your experience is, and not just like hunt AZ, but um, what you your military connection. I don't think we've ever covered that. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for having me, Clint. Um, yeah, my name is Brian Smith. I'm 15 year Air Force veteran, still currently serving. I uh, grew up Western New York, uh, then moved to North Carolina when I joined the Air Force. Was there for a while, then now I've been in Tucson for about eight, eight and a half years. Um, loving the Air Force. 15 years in, like I said. So getting close to the end. It's it's kind of neat being being that I can see a light at the end of the tunnel now instead of so far back in my career thinking it's never going to happen. And, uh, and now I'm one of the, you know, like the older, the older rank or higher ranks or older guys around us. I'm not that, that young airman anymore, which is, it's just cool. It's cool watching the progression of it all. Um, but anyways, so that's that. Um, I do have three kids. You said I have a couple coming into hunting age. I have a 13 year old daughter. She doesn't show a ton of interest in it right now, but my 10 year old son just, uh, just hunted for his first time last year, uh, last year being 23. Uh, harvested his first deer. He got a little coos buck, uh, second or third day of his hunt. He was super ecstatic about it. He got to be there with me, mom, and his uncle. Uh, so that was really cool. It was a little family deal. Um, yeah, and and that's about it. And then, uh, as you said, I have the Hunt AZ page. So I have Hunt AZ on, on social media, uh, which is just a giant community page for everything hunting in Arizona. Um, I try to make it about the hunters of Arizona, um, all the animals of Arizona, getting information out to people, dates, regulations. Uh, and then the real bread and butter of that is just sharing everybody's experiences, whether it's from a spike buck to a 400-inch elk or a turkey or a squirrel, whatever it is, just kind of sharing everybody's experience and and letting their hunt be uh, be known to everybody. And don't don't be uh, bashful on on your involvement with other organizations of getting uh veterans out uh, what are what are those what do you what do you got your yeah. head so i uh i recently actually let me rewind that a little bit i a few years ago um i volunteered to help an organization called outdoor experience for all on some youth hunts uh so what outdoor experience for all is is an organization here in arizona that gets disabled veterans and disabled youth, uh, youth with life altering disabilities out into the wilderness. Um, so a lot of these kids don't have the means to get out there, uh, or their family wasn't really into it, but getting into the outdoors is a therapeutic situation, whether it be somebody military who's, who's been through some, you know, real crazy stuff or some disabled children, regardless, it is therapeutic. So we get, these folks with disabilities out into the woods, making memories and, and smiles that likely would have never happened without an organization like this. So if say, say Clint, you, you draw a tag here in Arizona and for whatever reason, you can't hunt it. you turn the tag into us it, and we take the tag and find a hunter that can hunt it, whether it's a veteran or a child. Uh, and a lot of times when that happens, we also pair a volunteer to go with that. 
and so that's kind of what I've been doing for the last couple of years is when there's been hunts in Southern Arizona, I've been jumping on that and volunteering to take some kids out. And then November, right around uh, Thanksgiving time, we have a um, youth hunt, a youth camp down south. And that's like, that's like my favorite hunt of the year. I go down there and get to help some kids uh, go harvest animals. And it's awesome. They don't have trophy expectations. They don't have, um, you know, these wild thoughts of just shooting giant bucks. It's, they get out there, they're there for the experience. Likely their family, their siblings are all with them to experience it all. Uh, and that just, that has got to be one of my favorite hunts on the year is, yeah. is hunting with those kids. I bet. Uh, so taking a step back now, we got an introduction done with that. Uh, let's dive into some meat. The recruitment, retention, reactivation, R3 is, is your terminology for something that has been happening for decades and decades, but a, a term was coined around it or this, this, uh, structure was coined around it. Uh, I believe some guy in, in, I want to say the front range of Colorado, I, don't quote me on that, but I feel like there was a last name starts with a D. It's, it's coming back slowly. <laughs> anyway, so it, he he coined this opportunity or this this thing and and did some TED talks or whatever he did uh, to to say this is a, a structure. It's not just taking people out. Now we have this structure, and it's um, we we need to recruit new people. I'm just going to say people, so it's it's a. Uh, eight-year-olds to 78-year-olds. Um, right. Then we needed to uh, keep those people, retain them through constant uh, help. There's there's that gap of like, okay, you took them on a hunt, but how do we continue to support them into their next step? So uh, hand-holding and keeping them them involved, connect them with a group, an organization, something like that, or a mentor, mentee, that situation. Uh, then we need to... Um, reactivate so if if they fall out of that cycle of that uh re retention then hopefully bringing them back in say bring back those waterfowl hunters that ditched waterfowl hunting when when lead became illegal okay how do we bring those people back how do we bring uh somebody that had some kids and they're like i this is too much i can't go hunting how do we bring those people back so very similar strategies but you've got a a different a group of people, someone that's brand new, someone that's got a little experience, but not sure on how to do it themselves or someone that's, that's uh, walked away from hunting and, and just hasn't done a whole lot. And that, that it applies for fishing as well. So that was just a universal uh, accepted idea structure and everything is great. Um, like we said, I'm not diving into the Matt Ronella situation of the, uh, hating the idea of bringing in a new idea and like, hold on, hold on. We don't need more hunters. We don't need this different conversation for a different time. But, uh, right. that's, that's the structure of our three where that kind of came about. And, and now it's here. It's, it's pretty universally accepted and, and, and important in my opinion, for sure that, and, and I believe yours, yours as well, but give me your take on the recruitment side. And that's, I think where we want to hit some of this today uh what's your take on recruitment um do we have enough like is this is this an important thing to do do we have enough hunters uh do we need more uh and i'll, I'll eventually ask a couple other questions on that all right so 
first off, in reality, I didn't really know much about this R3 model. I don't think until you brought it up on one of your earlier episodes. And I started to look into it. And it was about that time of when I dove into this outdoor experience for all um, bit that I'm doing. So it was kind of you right there. And this, this is just a testament of how how word can just spread things. You started that for me. And then I took that and I made it my prerogative to go out and spread it more. So, I mean, it's just, just talking about it with, you know, subtly can, can spark that somewhere else. So thank you for that, honestly. Awesome. Um, but my idea on recruitment is that I think we really need it, honestly, especially with the day and age that we're in where there's so many attacks on hunting because the tax, the attacks on hunting that we've had, you know, we've seen over the years uh, of trying to get certain animals banned or certain hunting banned, whatever is only going to continue to go more. And if we stop recruiting people into the hunting community, eventually we're going to be, we're already significantly outnumbered from hunters to non hunters. Um, but what's going to happen is if we stop recruiting at some point, our number of hunters obviously stops increasing. Well, the number of non-hunters is going to continue to increase. And it doesn't take much for somebody to show a cute, cuddly picture of a bear cub and put that against us. And if we're not recruiting people in, we're not going to have people there to fight. We're not going to have people there to continue the legacy of hunting or um, push it on for future generations. So with what I'm doing is, is I, like I said, the, my bread and butter is getting these, these other kids into it and we got to get, got to get them into it and we got to keep them going. So with the retention part, you know, we, we get them into it, we get them a tag and if they love it, then we continue getting them tags. Um, same thing with veterans. You know, I've, I've spoke with a lot of veterans of how they're, they wanted to use hunting to, take their mind off of things just to get out there and, and, and experience things. So they're not thinking about life as it's currently struggling them or life that has already struggled them and is still stuck on their brain. So um, we, we've been trying to retain or uh, recruit the youth, but if we, we just recruit youth, there's going to be this giant gap. So that's where we're coming into recruiting veterans and getting new guys out there hunting. Because then once you get one guy into it, he loves it. And maybe he gets his dad into it or his brother or a friend, and it just starts to grow like that. Um, and I have seen where we've gotten people into hunting. And like you said, it brought in somebody in their family that used to hunt who hasn't hunted in years. Uh, you know, we bring in a veteran that has come in to hunt. Or not not even veterans. I've seen this with, with other people. But they, they've come in to hunt and started hunting. And they're like, yeah, my, my dad used to do it. I just never learned. Then they go out and do it. And then the next season I see them hunting again and their dad's with them and their dad's got a tag and their dad's trying to shoot an elk for his first time. Like we just recruited somebody that's 35 years old, but also got their dad that's 60 years old. And now we're slowly filling in those pieces in between filling in that age gap of recruiting everybody. So I, I strongly think recruiting's needed just as a way to to keep the legacy of hunting going and to pass this on to generations and generations before we get just completely defeated by these antis trying to shut it all down. Because, you know, we've talked with the howl stuff before. 
they're going to start with one thing. And before you know it, the lion hunters are getting attacked. Well, the deer hunters aren't banding together to get them. But before you know it, then the lion hunters won't be there to have their back. And we're just going to, we're going to fall apart from within. But if we can continue to recruit, we can continue this legacy. Absolutely. And the, the thing that we don't, a lot of people don't can't visualize is that say hunters are 5% of the, the population or six, uh, 5% are the antis. That's it. You've got a very small percentage and these are just kind of sort of made up numbers, but not really. Uh, you've got a small percentage on each end. Everyone else is in the middle to see that information from both sides and make their own decision. So you've get, you get lots of opportunity for wolves. That sounds fun. Let's have those. Um, no, nobody should be able to shoot a lynx or a bobcat or a mountain lion. That sounds horrible. Let's get rid of that. Uh, very on the fence and impressionable. Um, obviously still the majority of the voting population there. So, and, and you hope that they're educated, uh, but many, many votes go without educational, um, thought put into it. any, any sort of, uh, is a lot of ignorant thought, but, um, and what is a, what is a guy in a suit in, in Denver, Colorado, uh, that works in a five-story building? What's he going to know about wildlife i mean he doesn't have a clue um so the conversations can be had and that's a that's actually an episode coming up here pretty soon as soon as i get it recorded just about having conversations um with people and and uh, uh our perceptions um and then i love the the fact that uh, you've added um recruitment as part of veterans so i've been i've been thinking about this a lot lately lately i've taken a lot of active service folks hunting lately over the last three years but it's just a coincidence it's not like a targeted thing it's just a coincidence because we have a large air force base uh nearby so we i've, I've been taking a lot of those folks um and it's it's wonderful conversations wonderful experiences it's I, I sometimes i don't even know the difference between if i've got a veteran and and another person unless it comes up and and i don't know what that's doing for them i don't know their military background i don't don't have a clue um but the i've always thought like when you when you have these um veteran hunts like the the wounded warrior hunts um that are focused on the mental health um support the um the healing the um the stuff you you had mentioned about um the therapy therapeutic time in the woods mm -hmm. and i thought more of it being like a service of um these people went out and did some did some things so we didn't have to and i want to bend right. backwards for them i always kind of thought of it as a service but you're absolutely right in saying that that is a recruitment method as well because you have that person that is able to uh, get that healing and things that they need, the therapeutic experience, and then go take their their friends and family and 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 uh, military brothers out into the field to to go continue that healing process. Um, and so you do have a recruitment method right there. I I've just always kind of looked at it as a a uh, let me give something back to you guys and not as much of that recruitment. So I I I need to I, I'm I'm liking that that thought process of adding the the recruitment piece to that as well. Yeah, so um, it's it's been 
it's been fun. I never thought it was going to turn into like a, a, I never really thought of it as a recruitment process, I guess, but no, we don't need to, it was once I, that important. No, 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 no. exactly. And, and, and I, you know, and I still don't, but it, I, I look at it from, uh, from an outside perspective and I go, okay, I see how that's a recruitment process. But what I love about it is being a veteran myself, I can get out. I, I, so I've never been, I've never seen combat. I've deployed a little bit but I've never been in a combat situation. So a lot of these guys that I'm hunting with have been in some serious situations, you know, some serious things have happened to them or what, whatever. And it's nice to see them just get out there and forget about some of that. Now, I don't know what's really going on internally, but their body language and the, and the smiles and the interactions, you can see that they're just kind of like letting go for a little bit, which is really cool. And then, uh, so I so I get to connect with them on on the veteran level, um, so and understanding that and understanding the camaraderie that comes out of out of the military and the sometimes the things that said the banter the jokes uh, things that I'm not going to say on your podcast because it doesn't need we don't need to get you canceled or anything crazy but like it was just even just this weekend so I just came off of a veterans hunt this weekend uh, I just got home last night. We did like four or five days. We had, uh, I think, six or seven veterans um, come in from around the country. And it was like wild because it's a bunch of people. Plus, we had like 20 volunteers helping. It was just a bunch of people that came together that really didn't know any, know each other. And it was instantly like as soon as somebody walked through the door, just the crap talking, the, the banter, the jokes, and the whatever it was just awesome to see that so even even though we've recruited these guys to hunting and and most of them didn't really feel tags this weekend it was such a successful hunt and such a successful recruiting period that these guys are going to come back again whether they killed anything or whether they drew back an arrow it doesn't matter they they were in it they loved it um and they're going to go tell their friends and, and, you know, maybe we're going to get some more people into the program and get some more people to be able to do that. Yeah. I was going to ask about just what, what hunts you've been on this year specifically. Uh, let's, since we're on veterans, let's start there. Um, it, and you, you're in your, well, it's January 15th, um, a little ways to your season, probably wrapping up. Maybe yeah. you got 15 more days or so. Yeah, we've got so the end of the month for archery deer, uh, and down here, deer rut is like in its prime right now. Um, both mule deer and coos deer are rutting pretty solid. Uh, so, getting back to the hunts that I've been on, um, I want to say is like end of October. I took um, I, I took a guy. I actually I coached this guy's kid in baseball, um, and he had never never hunted before he was it was something he wanted to try and, and he ended up drawing a cow elk tag and i took him up north for a weekend and tromped around the, the the woods and got into some cow elk unfortunately he never was able to get a shot off but we had tons of time we were into elk and it was just a great weekend and and i get to hear you know some stories of how his military career went and where he's been and the things he's done which is real cool um this year on oh then there's a there's a guy I work with he he had hunted years ago but never really got into it and I started working with this guy maybe two and a half years ago 
Uh, and then just through conversation, kind of rekindled his interest into archery. So he started shooting bows again. Uh, and then this past season, he drew a coos tag and I took him out, got him his first coos deer. Um, he also had an opportunity at a mountain lion. He missed that lion. I'm actually going to, I'll come back to that here in a minute with that lion, but he, uh, he missed the line, but anyways, he had a great time, got out, got to experience some stuff. And now both of those guys are hooked. The guy from the Cowell kind of just texted me yesterday saying, Hey, what do I got to put in for? What units, where are we going? Let's do this again. So he's pumped. He's ready to do it again. Uh, and then, like I said, just this past weekend, um, I did this veterans hunt. There was an archery only veterans hunt with Havelina tags, deer tags. Uh, we ended up having two guys successful. Uh, one guy killed his first buck. Uh, it was you know, just a little fork muley, but that that buck could have been 200 inches for all that guy cared. It was the same thing, which was just awesome to see how excited he was, how thrilled he was to to have that success on the hunt. And then another one of our veterans, um, his name was Ryan as well. He actually stepped back to help one of our volunteers try to get his first deer or his first archery deer. And in the process, Ryan glassed up this lion and uh, he called me and he's like, hey, you got your rifle in the truck? I said, yeah, but it's going to take me too long to get it to you. So he's like, well, I'm going to go try to find this cat again tomorrow. And I said, ah, don't 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 wait till tomorrow. Just go in and chase it now with your bow. He went in, chased this lion with his bow, hit a fawn in distress. That lion came at him. Then the lion realized it was coming at the call and the lion saw him. So the lion started coming at him and he just drew back and released and shot that lion right in the face. And that cat took off, went about three, 400 yards. And, uh, we recovered it, you know, pretty easily. And what was, so here's what I was going to go back to that lion. I, I know I got off on a tangent there with this lion story, but it's just fresh and it was awesome. Yeah. Um, I told you that that other guy missed a lion with a rifle during Tucson. We're about four miles away from where that guy missed. And he missed low on this lion that was bedded. Well, when we cut open this cat the other day, there was lead fragments and a polymer tip from a Hornady ELDX in the back leg of this cat. No way. That's the same cat. Yeah, it's the same <laughs> cat. It was four miles apart, man. It was wild. Dang. Was that um, is it a what's that? female or male? It was a female. Okay. It was a young one. I I'd probably say she's probably like a year and a half old. Okay. Just um, curious because uh how much they're gonna move and that sort of thing. A tom will move way more than a than a female, but um yeah, that's interesting. Four four miles and what was the time frame? Uh so that was like November fifteenth, so three months. Two months. Hmm. Yeah. So not too but, bad, but that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't even remember what, what your original question was, but I just kind of went off on that tangent. I just did a post about this cat, so it was like all in my head. Yeah. Uh, anyways. No, no, I just wanted to hear about um, about your weekend, really. Oh, um, yeah. The, the, uh, what approach do you take with, uh, and we're focused on veterans, uh, what approach do you take with veterans that may be a di- little different than um, just a average buddy? Like what's the, that's not a, not a military guy. Is there anything you do differently with those guys? Um, not really. I, you know, from the start, there's, there's like opening conversations, you know, Hey, how are you? My name's Ryan, you know, whatever handshake, this and that. But then after that, I try to just treat them as if they weren't a veteran with some sort of combat related disability, 
or whatnot because I want them to just feel as normal as possible. Um, I, I guess I, I don't. I want them to just be comfortable. And and I usually, you know, I'll start yeah. right out like I'll go right at them with the military jokes or or whatever or anything like let's let's break the ice right away let's not take three days to finally crack the case here and get the banter going and get the crap talking and all that let's just start right out with it um there's a guy that i hunt with he was he actually uh he was really the mastermind behind this this hunt this last weekend he and i have partnered up two years now to make this veterans hunt happen but uh, his name is caleb brewer he's the owner of stick sniper archery here in tucson he is a disabled vet. He was blown up uh, back in 2015 or 2016, uh, double amputee from about the knees down. And he didn't hunt before that. He that His accident happened, his recovery happened. He's now obviously on prosthetics. Um, and that dude is just a hunting fool. Uh, so, you know, he got into it. And so he's, he's a huge part of my involvement in the recruitment process as well. I saw him come into it. Uh, and then he became one of our hunters through OE4A and had a tag donated to him. And he ended up getting a, um, desert bighorn tag donated to him. So when I say these tags are coming through, it's not like just a deer tag here or a javelina tag. No, it's I bison tags, elk tags, antelope, sheep, everything. They're coming through. Uh, we did almost 600 tags last year. Um, but anyways, yeah, so he, he got this desert sheep tag and that was, I think like the first hunt that I'd really been on with Caleb and, uh, we ended up getting him an, an awesome ram. And ever since Caleb was the beneficiary of one tag with OE4A, he has done nothing but put his heart into the recruitment of more veterans because I think he saw how therapeutic it was for him and and how beneficial it was and 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 he was he was um he was a special forces army guy so he's got a lot of friends that have been through a lot of crap and so he's bringing those guys in in droves and just over the weekend hearing him connect with other dudes that he had never really met but they all had the same link link to the same day or the same unfortunate event here and there with the same people and, and you know that's what it's that's what this was all about. Um, oh yeah, keep going off on these tangents. Oh, you're good. So you asked how I approached this. So I went on that hunt with Caleb, and um, yeah, I had never hunted with somebody. Actually, I had hunted with a kid with prosthetics about a year before that, but he it was a real mild hunt. Like we stayed near the road, didn't hike much, didn't do anything. Um, but the kid the kid got after it as he could. He was 16 or 17 at the time. But anyway, so when I came into hunting with Caleb, he's on two prosthetics, and and I went at it with this approach like, okay, I got to, like, help this guy. I got to be kind of sensitive to what's going on in his life physically and mentally. Uh, so, you know, I'm always like, hey, let me take your pack. Hey, you want me to carry this? Hey, you want me to carry that? And he was just like, no, I'm good. He was real polite about it. And then I remember we did a 3D archery shoot here in, in Arizona one time, and he tripped. Obviously, he's not picking up his legs real well, you know. So he ended up tripping, and he went down. And when I asked him, hey, do you want help? I saw, It was the first time I saw him get angry at somebody asking him to be helped. And so after that, 
I think I literally like stepped over him after that. Like, all right, you're on your own. And I've hunted with Caleb a ton of times. I spent this whole weekend with him. Now it's just like, all right, I'm going to go at it to, I'm going to take you to your, I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do. And you let me know when we hit your limits. Like that was never verbally said, but I got to that point where, all right, here's our plan. We're going to go over here. We're going to go up this mountain. And he was either like, heck yeah, we're going to do that. And this dude gets after it. I mean, he, it takes him some time, but he gets up these hills and he gets down these hills. And, um, so my approach with him has become like, all right, I'm just going to let you do you. And when you need help, I'm going to let him reach out. And, and then at the end of the day or throughout the day, I'll check in like, Hey, you good. Do we need to cut it off? Do we need to, what can we do? And he always tells me, he tells me exactly where he's at. Um, so hunting with Caleb has opened my eyes to doing the same for other people. Like these guys might be physically disabled in some form or another, but they don't want to be catered to all the time. They don't want to be babied. They don't want to just be, you know, like everybody just trying to help them out. They struggled this hard and they've worked so hard to get where they're at. They want to put that hard work to use and just hammer through it and keep going. Uh, so that's kind of been my approach is, is I'm, I, I just kind of go with it and learn people's limits, let them know or let them let me know of their limits as we continue. Uh, I think, I think and, that's great advice. Uh, like I, I need that. I was, I want, I think a lot of people could, could use that for, um, we're not all taking people out missing limbs, but, um, it, it's, it goes the same with understanding, taking a kid, a, an adult, someone like that, that it doesn't matter who it is. They, I, I think we take that same approach, um, with yeah. a, I don't want to be if I were to go with somebody and they're like kind of the guide-ish, but uh, they've got more experience than me, they're teaching me something new. Hey, we're going, I'm coming down, let's say I'm coming down to Arizona and doing a coos deer thing. I'm new to that. I don't know. I'm going to follow your lead. Um, I right. don't want to be babied. I don't want to be checked in on. I don't want to want that. Um, and, I'm, you're, and you're an able-bodied person, you know what I mean? So it's right. And they were yeah. an able-bodied person. They were that, and they just want that normalization. So I think your advice and your answer there is outstanding. I think that's perfect. And, and I took that – thank you. I took that um, that mentality. So I, a, a girl I hunted with this year on the youth hunt, um, I had never met her. And there was a couple guys hunting with her for a few days before that, and then I kind of came in because people had to come and go. And I'd never met her. And I asked those guys before I spoke with her, like, Hey, what's her, what's her abilities? What's her hiking abilities? And I, I had seen what her disability was. She was born, um, without her right arm. I think her right arm was just short of her elbow. Uh, and she was born that way. Um, so I came into this with the same mentality and this is a child. I mean, she was, I think she's 13, uh, came into it with the same mentality, like, her name was Rumi. And I, I said, Hey, Rumi, like, we're going to, we're going to hunt. And you tell me when you can't do it anymore, I'm going to push you to your limits and I'm going to push you until you tell me knock it off. And, and we ended up getting a deer within like the first two hours of the morning. Um, you know, I glassed it up and it kind of went over a ridge and I had heard she wasn't like huge into hiking. Wasn't really, wasn't really getting after it that well. And I mean, if you think about it, your arms are a lot of hiking. In reality, momentum and balance and this and that. And she's only got one. 
and then carrying a pack and, and whatever. So it kind of took some toll on her and I just kept going and we kept chasing this deer and he kept going over one more little ridge, one more little ridge. And I could see she was getting like exhausted. I said, let's go up and check this last ridge. And we popped up there and, um, and there was the buck 290 yards away. We set her up uh, and is her, her good arm is her left arm. So she has to be a left-handed shooter. Um, but anyway, she, she shot the buck, killed the buck. Her family hiked out, met us. We rejoiced, whatever. Um, but what that did is, is that helped me open my eyes again to more of that. Like, you just got to push people a little bit. It doesn't matter what their disability is. Take them to where they're comfortable and let them decide when they're not comfortable anymore. Let them decide when they need help. Uh, and, and you're essentially, you're testing them and then teaching them a lesson rather than, you know, how a school system teaches you this lesson and then it, it puts you on a test kids. No, I, I tested her. I tested her ability. I tested her, her mental strength. And then as she got through it and succeeded, I think she learned the lesson. Like I can do more. I can work hard. I can do this. And, and I think that was, that was the victory all in itself. And that alone recruited a future hunter, a hunter for life, because now she is completely hooked. Her twin sister hunts as well. Uh, her mom was a veteran that we got into the program to get going into this. So it was kind of like this wild chain of events. But just having those mentalities and those outlooks on things helps recruit. I mean, that's three more hunters we recruited. I know I'm kind of going in a ton of different directions. My mind is racing 100 different miles an hour right now. But um, no, that's perfect. Yeah, that was, that was another one of those things where I just had to, all right let's let's see what you can do i I don't want to be the one babying you i don't want to be the one trying to okay you know coddling to your feelings or your disabilities you coddle to your own feelings and disabilities we're gonna hunt and that's my mentality on it yeah so um you mentioned the i mean i i think we all are hunting for our own reasons and that sort of thing uh but for the therapeutic side of things how do you know it's therapeutic for some of these veterans that have seen combat? Um, what are you seeing or hearing in conversation that, that you have, have been able to, to help mediate that, that healing and that process? Um, so the first, first one that comes to mind is just this past weekend. Uh, Ryan, the guy that ended up shooting the lion, uh, we were sitting at camp and he was talking with some other special forces guys and he had actually said that directly was that this isn't a therapeutic thing for me this is because of what he's done and the way he's been trained he kind of gets out there and, and hunts and it in a way takes him back to some of to the training that he has so it it relieves the pressure like it, it kind of you know it, it helps him relax on it but it also like he he had all this training. He spent a lifetime of training this way. And now he gets to go out and hunt and he gets to do the same thing. Like he, he essentially gets to have a similar mentality. Uh, and then there was a, there was another guy that was at a, a hunt we had last year, same veterans hunt just a year ago. Uh, and he said, a lot of it is not even about taking a life. It's him being out there and having a mission and, and trying to complete that mission 
And from one of the conversations Caleb and I had um, over the weekend about that hunter was he said, I hope the deer wins. It's my job to make him not win. I hope he wins. Um, and, and considering how they, and I, and this next part, I kind of took this as my own perspective, but he said he will not hunt predators. And I kind of thought like, why? But they're in, they're at the, they're the same. They're, I think they just have the same mentality, you know, like he's got something with predators that he, he relates to. Um, but, uh, just hearing this, these conversations that I sit back as a fly on the wall at these camps and I hear these things like these guys talking about how it helps them get past this or helps them feel this certain way or feel this reconnectedness to what they have done. Uh, and then that, that's what I, that's what I get audibly. But then when you sit on a mountain with these dudes and you could be chatting it up, you could be in a truck driving around for an hour to get to a hunting spot. And then when you're just chatting it up, you're, you're, you're joking, whatever you're talking about, you get up on these hills and these dudes don't say a word. They just get there and sit there. They don't move. They don't say a word. Sometimes I see them just take their face out of their binoculars and sit there and stare and just stare at the mountains in front of them or watch the sunrise. They're just chilling. They're taking it all in and relaxing. And you, from, from my perspective, I, it looks like it's just weight lifted off their soul for that little bit of time sitting there out in the wilderness, not dealing with, with life stressors or PTSD or dark thoughts that they've had. Um, and, and so that's what I see physically. I just see the release on these guys. And then especially when we harvest something, we get an animal and these guys, you could just see like how ecstatic they are, how much it means to them. Um, and, and just the true pure excitement that they're feeling at that time. And they're just, everything is just kind of gone for a little bit. I think that pain, that picture is painted well in those examples. Um, <clears throat> not being a part of a military family. I mean, grandpas and, and great uncles were either like a gunner or someone, a uh, gunner out of a bomber. No, dude, I'm talking about stuff. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I know grandpa <laughs> was, was uh, in a plane <laughs> or my great uh, uncle was in a plane uh, doing some combat. Um, but everybody, yeah. everybody else, the grandpas were, uh, you know, stationed here and there for a short time, but nothing, nothing kind of crazy, not Vietnam, not, it, it was all world, world war two kind of stuff. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I'm so removed from that. Um, so I, I, I don't have a lot to speak from. Um, but my thought had always been that if I had seen some of that stuff and had some trauma of, uh, of some some combat rough things there's a firearm in my hand and i'm doing doing war stuff that's that's not pretty um that if i came back here i would want nothing to do with that fire a, a firearm I, right. I think that that would be that connection of forget this i'm doing nothing with a firearm i don't want to see one because every time i touch it you have that same feeling i'm going back to to what i experienced and this is just me trying to put myself in someone else's shoes um but from what you're saying it seems as though that puts them back in in a safe way 
and a non-combative way that they get to use and feel the things that they know they're really good at and they've been just ingrained instead of having to come back here and uh, totally immerse themselves in a totally different life. They get a little piece of what they're comfortable with and they know. Um, yeah. Am I, am I kind of saying that correctly? It, that's what I'm picking up off of what you're saying is, is that it, it's not a thing they want to be completely removed from, but they, it allows them to connect with that in a safe way and, an, and something where they're not taking a human life. I mean, and that makes sense. With yeah. I, I think you're, I think you're right there. Uh, again, I, like I said, I've never been in a combat situation. I have, I have deployed, but I have never been in these stressful combat situations. Um, but you have to look at the perspective. Even if these guys only serve for four years or, and I say only serve for four years. I, I say that loosely as a term of yeah. if they only serve for four or they serve for 20, it doesn't matter. They were trained a certain way for a, a large chunk of their life. And then to come back to society where that training doesn't translate, it doesn't come back into society and, and give them a sense of normalcy, you know? So, so in, from my perspective, that that's a completely different chapter in their life. Then they got to come back to society and start over. So what better way than like, like you said, let's get out there and, and get them into these situations, these hunting situations where they can put their, their brains to work like they were trained to. Uh, they can put their shooting abilities to work like they were trained to. They can put their, uh, maybe stalking abilities or whatever into work like they've been trained like this gives them and again this i'm not speaking for any of these guys i'm just speaking on kind of what you just said and maybe my perspective on it as well but it brings back a little bit of that a little bit of that that sense of normalcy for them because when you're doing that and you're training for that that's normal that's your normalcy the rest of society is not normal to you at the time so i i feel like maybe you're on the right track there that that coming out and doing this stuff gets them feeling that sense of that sense of like, just this, this is what I know kind of deal. And I definitely open this up to any listeners listening that have input on this to correct us in any, any way, or if you're yeah, burning, absolutely burning with thoughts on things, we'd love to, I know Ryan and I would both love to learn from you uh, with Things I'm doing at work, I, I feel like there will be some some more veteran hunts coming down the road. What you do, um, you you're, you you want to know how to approach those with the the best knowledge and, and understanding you can. Uh, so please get a hold of me and and uh, we'll discuss. And whether you want to do an episode or just have a conversation to correct us, I'll take it. Um, so moving on, uh, some of those adaptive hunts, uh, just like you were talking about with the young lady, uh, missing part of her limb or her arm there. Uh, what other kind of adaptive hunts have you been a part of for, and, and not necessarily veteran, but just kids, adults, uh, anyone else, or, uh, let's dive into some of that. Uh, so the first adaptive hunt I, I had done was with a kid named Joe. This was actually my first my first time volunteering for outdoor experience for all. So not only am I, I'm, am I doing something completely new, I'm doing something with somebody 
missing a limb. And this is the start of my learning process. Uh, so Joe, Joe was born with no bones. Actually, he was missing both legs. He was he was born with no bones from his knees down, except for in his foot. So that his shin bones, that they those were not there. Um, but he had feet in his bones or <laughs> bones in his feet. My bad. Yeah. And and then he also had a hand that didn't have fingers. So they, from from my understanding, they had taken bones and moved them, like moved to. So he had a finger on there, and they looked like toes, but grew like fingers. And so, so that, like he was born, that all happened as a baby. So he grew up, and that was his normalcy. So this is when I first realized, like, that's his normal. Let's let's focus on being normal. Let's not focus on like. Hey, your hands kind of messed up. What happened? Or you like, I let him tell me the story as he wants to. I don't need to ask that stuff. Um, he did. He did. And this, this also was kind of the start of me learning to just open it right up with, with an open mind or starting the conversation or the relationship with an open mind and not tiptoeing around things. When I first met him, he showed up and he had his deformed hand and yeah, I, I didn't know at the time. I didn't know anything about his hand. So I stuck my hand, or he stuck his hand out to shake my hand. He said, hey, I'm Joe. And I went to grab it, but like, I don't know how to grab this thing. It's got two fingers and a half a thumb. And, and what's my approach on it? And I'm like, uh, you know, kind of just, well, yeah. Uh, and I was like verbally making those sounds like, hey, my, uh, uh. and then he goes, oh, I'm just effing with you. And he switches hands and <laughs> says, take my strong hand. And once he said, take my strong hand, I was like, all right, this is how this is going to be. This is going to be an awesome fun. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, you, you learn, you pick up these little things along the way. Uh, but that was my first, that was my first adaptive hunt. Um, some of the other hunts I've been on, you know, less, less visibly physical, um, cystic fibrosis, you know, people have had. Uh, then I had Rumi this year. She was, she only had the arm with the one arm. Uh, and most of my adaptive hunts have really been with Caleb. Um, I've hunted with Caleb now on that sheep hunt. We've done this archery deer hunt twice. Uh, what else have we done? He was he was antelope hunting alone, archery antelope hunting alone. And I happened to be in the unit and reached out to him about something, and he told me he was there. So then it just turned into a weekend of archery antelope hunting with Caleb. But um, in reality, he's been the most of my experience with, with adaptive hunts. Yeah. What, um, is there any different approach you're taking with, uh, let's, let's say the, the youngsters, the under 18, yeah. under 20, um, they, they know no different. They were born with, with, uh, whatever their restrictions are. And, and so that's, that's something that's not new to them, but maybe they are hardened and tough. Uh, maybe they've been in a, a hospital bed for a good chunk of their, their life. I, I don't know. It's a, it seems like maybe that approach or something would be a, a little different than someone who was walking around, got shipped off overseas, came back without two legs. Um, or, right. or did not, I, I don't know. Is there, um, are, are you going shorter, doing a lot more, um, 
road hunting like stuff. Uh, yeah, talk. Just let me know what you're what you're thinking on that. Um. So, like I said, I, I, I feel out the situation kind of right off the start. I, I, one thing I don't ever do is I don't ever ask them about their disability. Right. If they want to talk about their disability, they can talk to it. They can talk about it. They don't know me, so they might not be comfortable with telling me anything that's going on. So I let that conversation happen as the day goes about. Uh, and, and usually you can see the comfort level switch to where they, you know, we've been joking around, we've been having fun, we've been hunting, and you see the comfort level turn. And then you get those true colors and they start to tell you, not saying you're not getting the true colors, but you just met somebody. A lot of times it's an awkward, yeah, hey, how are you, this and that. And and you just see it at some point, you see it turn um, to where they get comfortable with you. And then they start to explain things or they start to, so I never ask, but I typically always end up with, with the full story. Um, so there's one, one approach I go is just never ask, let them get comfortable, let them tell me what they want to tell me. Um, then as the approach for hunting goes, like I said, a little while ago, once I, once I kind of feel where we're at, I test them to see how far they can go. I let them tell me when we need to be done. We need to stop pushing. We need to throttle back a little bit. And a lot of it does start with, with essentially road hunting or road glassing. Like I will drive to a high point and we'll sit and glass from there and then, once we find a target animal, we see if it's, you know, I'll ask the hunter and, and I'm thinking back to Rumi specifically. Um, I asked her like, is that something you think you can hunt? And she was kind of, she was sitting there reluctant and her mom said, yes, you can. I said, all right, let's go. We're doing this. And we kind of both gave Rumi the opportunity, but then kind of didn't give her the opportunity because she might've just been like, ah, I don't want to, but no, we're going to push you a little bit. Um, so. Yes, we take that that road glassing. I, I hate the term road hunting because I just anyways, uh, we I, take that road we take that road glassing perspective. Uh, and, and yes, it's it, it's essentially what it is. But then once we get into it, we get into it and we go. Um, yeah, I think that's really the perspective I take is is never ask never ask what's going on. Let them let them decide their limits, push them a little bit, and then. In reality, it doesn't matter the age. I just try to build that level of trust in that relationship with them to where they're going to trust that I know what I'm doing and I'm not going to put them in a bad situation that, that they're going to be uncomfortable with. Does Outdoor Experience for All have any kind of adaptive equipment? Uh, is that anything you guys have implemented on hunts? Yeah, so... Uh, it hasn't been implemented on hunts that I have been on, but there are um, there are hunters that have been in the program that use track chairs. Uh, so they're you know they're wheelchair bound, and uh, Outdoor Experience for All has helped them in some way or another get into a chair with a track on it. Like I know Caleb owns one. I've actually never seen him use it. Um, I have seen a couple kids with the track chair and be successful uh, harvesting animals from a track chair. And I, I've seen some equipment again and again, I haven't had to use it or be a part of those hunts. I've just seen the photos of it that have come through outdoor experience for all where 
kids will have special devices mounted on a gun because they can't see through a scope properly. Um, and, and special devices to where it gets them the view through the scope and they know when to pull the trigger. Um, I've seen the, there's been some rigs set up again with the track chair and then kids with limited mobility in their arms and, and there's different ways that they can pull a trigger or again, use a scope and pull a trigger because of their mobility, their entire body mobility. Um, yeah, so outdoor experience for all does participate in getting some equipment or utilizing equipment that's makes this the best experience they can for these individuals. I know, uh, South Dakota game fishing parks is getting, uh, we have two track chairs so far, one in Sioux Falls, one in, nope, you know, one Sioux Falls, one Rapid City, and then one in Custer State Park. For sure, so three, I think, and a total of 16, I think, is what the goal is. And to have those all over the state just for this. And they're free to check out. Um, something that people can can use to to fish with. Just a single axle trailer. You hook it up, away, a little training, and away you go. And and anybody can, can borrow those. So I'd, they're uh, pretty sweet little rigs with with. They're called track chairs with tracks. You can you can really get get into some country, yeah. uh, and move around and and have the little gun rests on there. The the all the different things that you would need to to be able to scoot out onto some some national grassland or or someplace. Obviously, we're not going to be doing a ton of up and down some things, but um, right that individual could also get. I don't know what laws are in Arizona, but. A lot of states have shoot from a vehicle permits. They can get uh, shoot from a road. Uh, that'd be the same permit because obviously you can't shoot from a vehicle if you're yeah. not on the road. Uh, but the that would allow them to go driving down on their trail on a trail that's close to motor vehicles. Allow them to um, get all over the place and then and then make a shot on something that they wouldn't be able to get there otherwise. So pretty cool things coming around in in our state but uh sounds like uh you guys and many other states are getting getting similar equipment for for needed hunts yeah we have um in regards to what you're just saying we have what's called a champ permit champ um and that allows a lot of times it you it gets you the abilities for these disabled folks to shoot from a vehicle um or shoot you know off of vehicle, whatever, they have that ability because of their disability. Uh, and then along with the champ permit, it gets them um, off-road recovery permits and stuff like that to where they can drive a vehicle off the road to recover an animal uh, or get to an animal. Another thing that we that gets added to a champ permit is you can have somebody that's designated as a follow-up shooter. So... Um, we actually talked to Caleb about it with his sheep hunt, and I've seen it with a few other people to where, say they shoot an animal. Oh, actually, I, I was on one a few years ago. It was an older guy uh, with a sheep hunt, and sheep are in some rugged terrain. So if you down a sheep, but it needs a finishing shot, well, you can't. maybe you can't get that guy up there. So typically you put one or two names on the permit, that are legally allowed to go take the follow-up shot. Um, And we, we forgot to do that with Rumi this year. Um, 
I don't know that we forgot. It just kind of never came about. And when Rumi shot her mule deer, uh, we walked up to it and he was still alive. Legally, I can't put a finishing shot in it. So we had to get create like Rumi only has one arm. So she, it's also hard for her to hold a rifle and pull a trigger. So the way we had to do this was basically I held the rifle, just balanced the rifle. She got behind it, got to where she was aiming her aiming point and pulled the trigger for herself. But um, legally we could have got money on that permit to be able to finish the animal for, but that's just another one of the ways that the state of Arizona is allowing us to adapt to these disabilities and help these hunters be more successful. That's a, that's a unique idea. I hadn't heard that at all. Um, I, I may even just keep that in the back of my mind for, for future department meetings and things, ideas, suggestions. Cause that's, yeah. I don't know how it wouldn't be up to me. I just got to shoot out an idea. <laughs> but it's, uh, it, I, I don't know how they go about adding that, making that an option. Uh, but it's doable, obviously. Uh, you, you got your department yeah. doing it, so that's that's really neat. Um, we we have all of these mentor tags. As long in South Dakota, as long as you can carry a gun and pull the trigger, you can hunt. There's no age restriction for uh, a mentor tag. Uh, so young, <laughs> young. There's five, six year olds. There's even four year olds. You look at Melissa Bachman's kids shooting turkey at like four years old. Um, in yeah, the state that are out there. Uh, that kid seems a little more advanced than most. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen her videos. Of, he probably, he kid, probably has a few more resources than most as well. Sure does. <laughs> and a mom that's yeah. able to stay at home and and uh, take care yeah. of and do a lot of a lot of different things. Um, I thought I was going to run into her yesterday at a wrestling tournament. My kid has very first uh, wrestling tournament, and uh, I was looking for to see if. Gordon or wherever she's from was was attending, but her uh her yeah. little, little boy wrestles. But um that's a whole nother story. I am the most proud dad in the world right now after watching watching my kid wrestle for the very first time. He was having so much fun. I can't I can't even tell you. He had a smile on his face. He he was even like his last match getting kind of choked a little bit, and he's still smiling like grabbing that hand <laughs> and ripping it off. And and I'm not gonna say he's a tough kid. He's a he's a sensitive kid skinny little twerp but but the happiest little boy and he just had an absolute riot and won three out of his four matches which is so cool got third awesome place, yeah um which doesn't matter because these kids are going rolling back and forth back and forth and i told him it's like i don't care if you win uh, I don't care if you lose. I just told him, it's like, you go out there and you try your hardest. I want to see you try your hardest and get after it. And he said, yep, that sounds good. And he did exactly. Yeah. That. He had his little try hard face using some muscle as he was out there. I loved it. I absolutely loved yeah. it. It was a great, yeah, man. That's uh that's, that's, I, I understand that. I just went through all that with riders first year, the same thing. Like, Hey, we're going to, you know, we're going to, you're going to have to get after it. You're going to have to work hard. You don't shoot a deer. He was really nervous he was going to miss. And I was like, dude, everybody misses. I don't care if you miss. If you miss, we we rack another round and we try again. Or if that deer runs off, we go find another one. Like, that's all there is to it. Yeah. But just seeing the, the face, the smiles, the everything, once the success happens, and he just, just 
you see them fall in love with whatever wrestling or hunting, whatever they're doing. It yeah, you become the most proud dad on the planet for that little bit of time. Yeah, and it's awesome. And I guess I went on that tangent because we have all of these mentor opportunities that having another name on a permit to be able to to take care of an animal would probably be a really good thing and because it's probably happening illegally right now i'm sure there's a lot of dads out yeah. there that have a wounded whatever and they're just doing it illegally because the suffering of an animal is more important to take care of that situation than the law of, of having someone finish it all. Like, I'm sure that's happening in yeah. South Dakota yeah, on some level. Um, but to make that, a, a give people that opportunity if, and I like that it's not just a, whoever's with you gets to pull the trigger. It's a, it's on there. So if a game warden came by, it's, you've got a second name there or a third name there of grandpa or dad yeah. or whoever to be able to pull that. So, uh, moving on and finishing up the last question I have for you is, uh, you have family, young family, you're, you, you do some coaching, you, uh, have a full-time job, you run hunt AZ as a business and a social media page. Uh, you got a lot going on. Why do you do this? Why do you, why are you spending some time on these, these adaptive? What's the why for you? Oof. Um, Man, I, I I don't know that like I've ever really thought of a reason, but just seeing the joy that it brings other people, the the experience that they have, the stories that they get to tell, um, is all way better than the animal they they harvest. But just to be a part of that and be a part of somebody's memories, um, that that are core memories where they're just they're stuck and to see how happy it makes people i i, I generally like to help people in in a lot of other stuff but it's it's things that i'm passionate about and i get to see other people grow their passion and i get to see other people just experience the things that i've get, i've been able to experience and see how happy they get and how emotional they get like it you can tell when you can tell that it really truly means something to somebody. That's when I can. That's when it really truly means something to me. So, I really I just do it to let them experience those raw emotions that I've that I've been fortunate enough to experience and and the things that I've been fortunate enough to become passionate about. Great answer. Uh, it reminds me of something that I've been putting off and putting off of. And, and I think the why is so important to um, bring this full circle back to why we decide to recruit or train and reactivate these new hunters or old hunters. But John Stallone tasked me with, uh, uh, and probably you too, when he sent out, oh, this is back in October, he sent out his hunter's paradox, the hunter's paradox uh, idea. And that's basically the why you hunt um, and all of the why like laid out one through 10 or whatever it is and using that as a recruitment tool and a, and a thing for here, non-hunter, this is why so that you can mm -hmm. understand that I'm not just a bloodthirsty killer. Uh, this is, this is my why. And I've just put that off 
so long just because it's one of those questions that you got those thoughts up here, but putting them on paper and keep doing it is, is a difficult thing to, to, how do I narrow that? Yeah. down? How do I put that under words? Mm-hmm. How do I do that? So I haven't even done that yet. It's back to October and November and we're in January and I haven't done it yet, but, um, your yeah, why, the, your why for, for doing these adaptive and veteran hunts is, I think as important as that. So, um, thanks for sharing the, the why on that. Yeah, not a problem. So, uh, I think that wraps it up. Any other thoughts on, on, uh, yeah, uh, um, go for it. What do you got? Well, and I was just going to say last thoughts, but also, um, let me know how someone could in Arizona could donate a tag to outdoor experience for all. So first of all, I guess we'll go with last thoughts here. Um, again, like I said, especially in, you said you're, you're hunting with veterans as well. Occasionally. Um, I just ask that people be courteous to the things that these people have been through. Um, don't ask, you know, and, and I'm not speaking specifically to you, I'm kind of, this is to everybody. Don't always jump right out there and ask them what they've been through, what it's like to do this. Don't ask them how many people they've killed. Don't ask them what's the craziest thing. Like, don't spark the things that they're trying to get away from. You know, like, let them let them grow in their comfort zone. Let them tell you as they feel comfortable. Maybe they, and maybe that's something that releases some stresses talking about it. And a lot of people that does. But some guys don't want to talk about it. Some guys don't want to tell you the dark side of what they've been trained to do or what they had to do. Um, so so I just I just advise people don't go in there with that mindset of of asking those dark questions. Uh, the other thing is once you have hunted with these as we're on veterans right now, once you have hunted with these veterans and you have connected with them, stay connected with them because a lot of times they need somebody outside of their circle to just talk to or lean on or express some feelings or just shoot a text just saying, Hey, I'm having a rough day. Sometimes they need that. Um, so if you stay connected with them, check in on, them. don't, don't check in on them to where you're just pestering them. But every now and then just say, Hey man, how are you doing? And when they just say good, just tell them like, no, no bullshit. How are you doing? Tell me how you're doing. Like have a real conversation with them. You become connected with them in this aspect of hunting. Stay connected, stay friends. These guys go through some real dark stuff and a lot of times need somebody there to help them. Um, Or again, just to release to, that's it. Uh, So getting away from that, um, how can people become involved or donate? Uh, anybody can donate a tag. It doesn't have to be residents. So again, Clint, if you, if you drew an elk tag in Arizona and for whatever reason you got sick, can't come down. All you do is you can get on outdoor experience for all.org. You can, there, there's a tab on there that says donate. You click that scroll down, donate a tag. It'll give you options, donate money, donate time, donate tags, something along those lines, hit donate tag and a form comes out. You print out that form, you sign it, you mail that and your tag to Outdoor Experience for All. 
Um, and, and it goes to Eddie here. And Eddie's kind of the mastermind behind all this. It goes to him here in Phoenix, and then he will find a hunter for your tag. Um, if you Arizona has something called point guard to where it's basically insurance for your bonus points. So if you spend 13 bonus points on an elk tag and then can't hunt it, you can point guard it so you can still get your points back so you don't burn your points when you donate that tag. You do not get your money back, but you get your points. Oh, so wow. that's huge. That's, that's a that's, it's huge. That's a huge benefit to that option. Um, we now have an e-tag system that they're integrating here in Arizona. You can donate e-tags as well, which makes it super easy because then it's just a quick phone call for us to call Game and Fish and boom, 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 get it all transferred over. I haven't been a huge part of that yet. I'm a huge part of like connecting people from social media world to outdoor experience world to get tags that way. Um, so that's how you can get the tags through. Uh, that's how you can donate a tag. Now, for anybody that's listening that has potential to be a beneficiary of a tag. Um, so if you have a service-related injury, if, you, if you're a disabled vet, um, there's a form you can get on the same website, outdoorexperienceforall.org. You get on there and you print out the form. You take it, have a doctor saying, hey, I had this guy does have, guy or gal has a permanent disability. The doctor signs off on it. Once the doctor signs off on it and you get that sheet test, you are now part of the program and have an opportunity to receive tags through Arizona. Now, mind you, there are a ton of people in it, so you may not be getting one of the tags, but it's one more opportunity for you to get a tag in Arizona. And then when you get a tag through a donated program like Outdoor Experience for All, it doesn't cost you your bonus points. So if you've been putting in for years and then you didn't get drawn, but then we get you a tag, it's it's at no cost to you. You just get the tag. No money, no points, nothing. You get a free tag. Do you have to be a resident there? No. Oh. no. We had a guy last year from Minnesota. We've had a couple guys from out of state come in. Um, yeah, we've I when I just used that guy from Minnesota as he was the first one I was a part of him getting a tag that was not a resident to Arizona. Do the donors get to see like a follow up? of what happened on the hunt or they get to be a part of it um, the other way not not always sometimes they stay connected through social media um you know maybe if if eddie gets a tag from this person and gives it to this person when the person with the tag fills the tag uh you know he may shoot it over shoot a photo over to the guy and said hey so-and-so filled your tag just to kind of let them know um, Caleb, Caleb got a, a javelina tag last year from donated from Steven Ranella, and mm. he ended up filling that tag. So, you know, we sent photos over to Steven Ranella for that. That was kind of cool. Um, but typically when I see the name, the original name or whatever, I try to get, I try to get people out, let them know that their tag made a difference. Yeah. I, I think uh, that, and, that would be a part of my why if, if, I, I had that opportunity yeah. to donate and it's like, well, it went out there. I don't know what it did, but to get a picture back and then yeah, yeah. a text thread of conversation of how did it go? I'd be all over wanting to <laughs> know how that went. Yeah. Um, that's pretty and, awesome. And more often than not, more often than not, we don't connect with the donor. Like it, from my experience, yeah. it hasn't happened. 
you know, Eddie's more involved with that. So maybe he's seeing it or some of the other volunteers. Um, but I just, I do all the social media stuff. You know, I do, I have all my hunt AZ stuff. So I'm posting a ton of this stuff on social media. So for whatever chance, if they're following hunt AZ, they're seeing, Hey, that could have been my tag. Or I posted on outdoor experience for all. Um, this happened, this happened. So-and-so filled this antelope tag that was donated. So maybe they can connect with it that way. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Ryan, for the great conversation. Got a pile of lessons learned and I I know you're always a, I got an idea. I got an idea. I got to grab it. (laughs) But I wanted you to, uh, folks, I made Ryan speak from the heart on this one. Didn't give him any prepped questions. And I know, uh, (laughs) that that always drives you into little nuts, but, uh, I, I, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Great conversation. Um, and if you're, uh, applying no in Arizona, no, this is an opportunity for you to be involved in Um uh, pretty neat opportunity. So thanks again, Ryan. Uh, and anyone that's not following hunt AZ on Instagram, make sure you get on over there and, and, uh, follow that. So thanks Ryan. I appreciate you. Awesome. Thanks. Clint. Thanks for having me. This is God's country.